Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Typically, very little news breaks over the summer regarding nicotine vaping regulations, but this year it's been an entirely different story. In late June, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration sparked controversy with its decision to ban Juul from the U.S. marketplace, only to temporarily suspend its marketing denial order just weeks later, stating that there are scientific issues unique to Juul that warrant additional review. Also this summer, FDA's deadline on the use of synthetic nicotine and vaping products hit in July, making a vast majority of products on the market illegal. The FDA also advanced two highly charged initiatives, the plan to reduce the maximum level of nicotine in all cigarettes, rendering smokes essentially non-addictive, and FDA's proposed product standard for eliminating menthol in cigarettes. Joining us today to talk through these events and more is Tony Abood, the Executive Director of the Vapor Technology Association. It's great to have you back on the show, Tony. Brent, it's always good to be with you. Thank you for having me again. You bet. First off, let's start with FDA's proposed ban on menthol and cigarettes, as I believe many supporters of vaping tend to underestimate the impact restrictions and bans on combustible products could have on vaping. Tony, please explain to our viewers what FDA hopes to achieve with the menthol ban and where VTA stands on the issue. Well, I think that the FDA is clearly with this with this new proposed product standard trying to ad finally address the scourge of cigarettes. Um, you know, they've had authority for many years to um, try to reduce cigarette smoking. They've taken numerous steps in an attempt to do just that. But it's our view at VTA that this is probably the most significant step that they could have taken to truly go after combustible cigarettes. And given the fact that we've spent the last six, seven, eight years almost exclusively focused on vaping products, which are, as we know, less harmful than smoking cigarettes, uh, and given that the narrative and the, in, the focus of the FDA has been such that very little attention has been given to cigarettes and even the promise that vaping products have in terms of helping people get off of smoking cigarettes. This is frankly somewhat refreshing to finally see the agency targeting the combustible cigarette, which everyone in the vaping industry has been doing for years. We've expressed very clearly as an association that one of our objectives and primary aspects of our mission is to help solidify and create a, a rational marketplace for less harmful nicotine alternatives such as vaping products and make sure that they're available to the adult smokers who are trying to quit and to stay quit. And so this move by the agency finally refocuses on the actual combustible cigarette, which is causing death and disease in, in you know, unheard of numbers still to this day. Now, menthol, at least proponents of the ban, which I'm sure you agree with, say that menthol cigarettes makes it, menthol makes it easier to smoke and harder to quit. And thus, you know, that means that teens, youth are more likely to initiate smoking with menthol. Is that the big issue? Well, look, the agency has always been uh, extremely focused on the issue of initiation and particularly with respect to youth initiation. Um, what we do know is that we have a very ardent group of smokers who use menthol cigarettes. Um, they tend to be in 
what the FDA calls vulnerable populations. And the FDA has presented its scientific case, not for the first time, but the most recent, um, that lays out their rationale and their arguments and the science that supports uh, their proposed ban on menthol in cigarettes. And one of the aspects of the, their rationale is that not only does menthol, well, that menthol actually enhances addiction potential, uh, it makes it more difficult for people to quit. And of course, it also, they claim, makes it easier for users, particularly young users, to start uh, using um, cigarettes. And so for those reasons, and of course, all of the understood and ex scientifically accepted dangers of smoking, the core belief is that by removing menthol cigarettes from the market, we they can do something substantial to really help reduce the 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 rate of disease and death associated with cigarette smoking. Why don't you take us through, if you could, some of the backstory around a menthol ban? Has FDA tried to do this in the past? I mean, you know, for how long was there a big call to make this happen? And does FDA have the power to actually do this? Well. On the latter question, I mean, clearly there are going to be legal challenges to FDA's authority to uh, implement this product standard. Those legal challenges, uh, when you add that to the time that it will take the FDA to review the nearly 200,000 comments that they received, um, means that nothing is going to happen uh, with respect to menthol and cigarettes for a number of years. Um, and even after, even if they were to finalize and approve the product standard, I believe under statute that it could not take effect for at least one year. So we're talking about years between um, uh, today and any time that this rule could in fact be put into effect. But if you back up, this is not the first time, as you alluded to, the FDA has tried to address menthol in cigarettes. They did so uh, a decade ago, and they issued a proposed um, rule and received comments, and ultimately the issue went nowhere. Obviously, there was a lot of opposition to this. Um, there were a lot of entrenched interests that uh, pushed back extremely hard, and there's been a very divisive narrative around whether or not the banning of menthol cigarettes makes any sense on a whole lot of levels um, and from a different perspectives. From the Vapor Technology Association's perspective, our board considered this issue and we think that this isn't a binary choice, right? You cannot continue to look at vaping and, and tobacco regulation um, as, as one-offs. It's either this or that. Really, when we dug into the rule that was proposed by the agency, um, what jumped out at us was the science on which they are relying. And the science on which they are relying effectively says that the effectiveness of this proposed rule is going to be contingent on a number of things. Most importantly, Brent, is the availability of vaping products in the US market. So in the absence of availability of, of vaping products in the US market, the, 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 the potential that the proposed rule has for helping menthol smokers quit is, going, is, is severely in question. And we seized on that particular aspect of the science and the policy 
um, which is, and, and that is what the core of our submission is about. It's not about just banning menthol or not banning menthol in cigarettes. It's about having a comprehensive policy that does something to directly go after cigarettes and also ensure that the marketplace is filled with products such as vaping products that are acknowledged to be a less harmful alternative. And if the FDA does those two things in concert, then we actually have a chance of really giving smokers the off-ramp that they need to get off of cigarettes. So VTA's support for the menthol ban is contingent then on FDA supporting the switch to e-cigarettes. Well, what we did, what we did is we took the, the time to explain, based upon the science that the FDA has presented, the fact that the very success that they want to achieve is going to be limited by factors that the, even the agency acknowledges are what they call countervailing, countervailing effects or countervailing factors. And there are a number of those. But one of the most significant ones that jumped out at us was the fact that the agency acknowledged that the research that they have had submitted and on which they rely in the rule says that perhaps 50% or up to 50%, depending upon the, the demographics that you're talking about, um, of menthol smokers would simply convert over to smoking traditional tobacco cigarettes, okay? So already we're dealing with what we characterize as a potential half measure, because if, if, if you're only gonna get 50% uh, that could possibly quit, or, or if you already are acknowledging that 50% will just simply keep smoking traditional cigarettes or other combustible products, you're already working with a limited population. Then what happens with the other portion that won't switch over to other combustible products? There were other limitations that the FDA's science, in other words, the science on which they've relied, also suggest are problematic. One is the black market, and another one, of course, is the availability of e-cigarette vaping products, and in particular, menthol vaping products, of which, as we know, the agency has not approved a single one. Yeah, you would think that a menthol product that's of less harm would be great to advertise and promote if you're trying to get people off the deadlier version of menthol smoking. Well, that's, that's a very rational, common sense position, but that position was articulated by the scientists on which the FDA relied in, in, in promoting their menthol cigarette rule. And they were very clear that in the absence of menthol vaping products, the effectiveness of the menthol cigarette ban would be severely hampered. Um, and so given this fact, we believe that their own science, the FDA's science in support of this ban is making the case for not only menthol vaping products, but other flavored vaping products. And we took the time and, the, and, and pro provided the analysis to lay this case out in our comment, because we're at, we believe that FDA is effectively at a crossroads. The policies that they have been following to date have been, as we've seen, having a detrimental impact on the understanding of Americans and in terms of the relative harm of vaping products as compared to cigarettes. Uh, we have seen doctors, 60% of physicians in this country who say that nicotine is, 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 um, um, is, causes cancer, uh, things that are just scientifically uh, un untrue. We have seen a narrative which has 
caused people to believe that e-cigarettes are as dangerous, if not more dangerous the, um, than cigarettes. So, and, and we have also seen then from the regulatory realm, the disapproval or the denial of PMTA applications for the overwhelming majority of products for which applications were filed and the approval of a mere handful of products uh, in only one flavor. So the warnings that the scientists that the FDA relied upon in the menthol cigarette ban are truly being borne out. And if the agency does not aggressively have a change of heart or a, change, a course correction, as we called it in our comment, um, then whatever they are trying to achieve with respect to this menthol cigarette ban um, will be lost. I'd like to spend just a little bit of time hovering on this issue here. And that is, so FDA is acknowledging that menthol cigarette rule, that this rule, this ban may only marginally reduce combustible tobacco use as a majority of menthol smokers simply switch to smoking traditional cigarettes. And that's in their documentation. They acknowledge that that's the case. So as you said, well, a bit over 50, like 55% of those who currently smoke menthol, instead of quitting smoking, instead of moving to less harmful products, they're just going to switch to the non-menthol cigarette and move on with their day. So that certainly is going to bring no health benefits then from this rule for over half of the people that smoke menthol. Yeah, and, and that's the real risk. Like this, this is a big move by the agency. It is probably one of the most aggressive moves that it could take, given the fact that Congress in passing the Tobacco Control Act limited their ability to remove cigarettes from the market. Um, I, I think as, as you know, and what we pointed out in our comment is that, the, that Congress has prevented the FDA from banning cigarettes altogether. So the most aggressive thing that step that they could take is implementing this type of tobacco product standard. Uh, and of course they have to meet the scientific standard um, for, for doing so, demonstrating the appropriateness of using, applying the appropriateness of the protection of public health standard. Now, that being said, with this aggressive move, unless again, they take the, 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 the concurrent step and making sure that alternatives are available, then it's it's really for nothing. Because at the end of the day, when you look at the, the science that they submitted, for example, they said they expect upwards of 20% of menthol smokers to quit altogether. But if you read further, their study and their rule says that half of those people that they expect to quit smoking or using combustible products altogether will be using vaping products. Well, that's very interesting because that means half of those people that they actually anticipate to quit are going to be relying on vaping products. But once again, if they don't approve vaping products and make them available, then I think the obvious is clear. More of those people will in fact not quit. They will probably then either go to the black market as the agency acknowledges uh, is is another countervailing factor, or perhaps a chunk of those folks would end up continuing to smoke. And that's actually what some of their scientists did say. Uh, in fact, there was one study that we included that was from uh, Cook, uh, that was a much more recent study. And for some reason it wasn't included in the menthol rule. Um, 
And they said this, they said, quote, a menthol ban may be particularly effective in reducing smoking among menthol smokers, especially if mint and menthol flavored e-cigarettes are available as an option for menthol smokers affected by such a ban. That is a direct quote from that particular study. Uh, and they also said in that study that e-cigarettes may be an especially important cessation aid for menthol smokers who want to quit smoking. Now, as I noted, that study was not included in the proposed rule, but the studies that they did rely on, such as Levy and Meza, uh, there were a number of studies that they, that they included there, also specifically noted the importance of the availability of vaping products um, as, as the alternative, as the off-ramp. And, and, and so once again, unless they do both, our warning to the agency is, you will not have the impact on reducing cigarette smoking in this country as we are all hoping to do. They cited the Canadian experience heavily, right? And they said, well, because in Canada they banned menthol cigarettes and we didn't see this huge black market. The way we addressed, addressed that in our comment was to recognize that it's one thing to downplay the existence of a black market and to say that it's only gonna be a certain percentage. Our economists did an evaluation and they came out with this figure that they believe it's gonna be 20% um, and that that ultimately would lead to an increase in um, the sales of 2 billion packs of, of cigarettes, traditional cigarettes. Um, but what's most significant and what we pointed out is that none of these other examples that they have given take into account the fact that this FDA has made it very clear that they are not going to punish youth use or possession of menthol cigarettes. And they have made that a central tenet of their policy. And in so doing, they are providing no disincentive to the actual smoker who obviously um, will find no disincentive to continuing to access the product. So they're if we argue they are effectively seeding the ground for a black market. Black markets are based upon opportunity uh, and demand. And in this case, they acknowledge on the science that there is a strong demand for menthol cigarettes. And I think it's important that we actually add, Tony, that the reason why FDA is doing that, so they're essentially saying we're not punishing, we're not enforcing any laws against any consumers and so forth. And that is because of the pushback from African-American community who says that this is going to lead to increased police interaction and potential enforcement um, to that community. And we all know, you know what's happened there. Sure, and, and, and so again, this isn't a binary question. The fundamental theme of our entire comment is that you mitigate those concerns that you are, I, I would argue, accelerating by saying we're not going to punish for use or possession. You mitigate those concerns by giving those smokers the off-ramp. You give them the alternative. I mean, it's, it's, it's fanciful to suggest that they're simply going to cut off the road and not build an off-ramp. And so, uh, and if you do that, you just leave the individual to his or her own devices. Um, excuse the pun. Uh, in this case, you know, they don't have a lot of devices as alternatives. But the reality is that 
we have a situation where even the concerns about black market can be attenuated if alternative products are available. That's the warnings of the scientists. And this is the key factor in, in, in our entire comment and the key theme, which is why the agency really does have to do a reboot in terms of its considerate uh, of, of the issues and the policies uh, that it's considering. There's a lot of things that FDA has to get right here for this particular rule to have a positive effect to public health. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement, right? But all of these things are within their control, right? I mean, the fact of the matter is that the agency has the power to approve vaping products and approve the applications that are still pending um, and that they are that they are reviewing. And yet two almost two years past the original PMTA deadline, we <clears throat> we we are still waiting for hundreds of thousands of products to be ruled upon. Now, and we only have a handful uh, of products that have been approved in the marketplace. And and, and some of those products aren't even in the marketplace, right? They're not, they don't have a, a, a major presence. And so what we were encouraging the agency to do is look at this picture that they are creating and make sure that the steps that they are taking, if and when they do finally implement a menthol cigarette ban, that we have, that they have created a marketplace that is replete with myriad vaping products with menthol vaping products and with other flavored vaping products. And we took the time in our uh, comment to also illuminate and highlight the article, the analytical essay that was done by the 15 past presidents of the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco, which is a very powerful statement. And that statement basically made the case for the need to have US regulators rethink their policy. And so we are at a crossroads. The agency under new leadership can take a direction which hews towards the science that is now accepted everywhere in terms of the relative risk and, <clears throat> and, the, le and the less risk that are associated with e-cigarette products. If they will take that to heart and start to evaluate these applications and with an eye towards how are we going to approve them with, as opposed to how are we going to get rid of as many of these products as possible, then we actually have a fighting chance to get people off of cigarettes. So let me ask you, Tony, won't the call to ban flavors in nicotine vaping products only grow once they're done banning menthol in cigarettes? So I think that's somewhat of a, a red herring, right? Because we know that the opponents of vaping, right, <clears throat> the highly funded, the well-funded, the well-organized opponents, they will stop at nothing. But their positions are becoming much more extreme. And that's good, frankly. I, I, I don't mind them being as extreme as they are because science continues to move in the direction of promoting vaping products as well, including a myriad array of vaping products. And that's one of the reasons why we highlighted the 15 past presidents of SRNT article. Because in that article, these 15 anti-tobacco uh, uh, academicians, leaders in the tobacco control space, actually called out the fact that the absence of flavored vaping products 
could be hurting adults' chances at quitting. And that's why they also recommended alternatives to simply to simple flavor bans. So we really have to look at this in the big picture. I'm not as concerned about uh, you know the dominoes falling because there's going to be a constant push and pull. But what we have to do is we have to chart out a clear vision and a clear pathway to achieve what we're all trying to achieve, which is the reduction of cigarette smoking, the preservation of life, and the benefit of, of, of years that are lost to cigarette disease and death. Uh, when we have this alternative that exists, that is very um, attractive to uh, smokers in the marketplace, and, and that has to be our continuing focus. It has to be our primary focus. And we viewed this rule as an opportunity for the agency to actually lay down a clear path that will ultimately get us in this country to a point where the cigarette is devalued and the e-cigarette and vaping products are valued at, uh, for, for what they are, an effective alternative that, for those people who are trying to quit smoking. Yeah, there are those that are concerned about this type of a ban. And, you know, it's a, a bit of a libertarian argument that we shouldn't allow government to be continually telling us, you know, uh, people should be allowed to pick their own poison. I, I, I understand that. I, I understand that. And, and we've gotten some of that feedback. Um, uh, but I think, I think that doesn't quite go far enough when you're dealing in a regulated marketplace. And, and, and what I mean by that is that the, the choice here is right now that we need to be concerned about is whether or not smokers have a choice to use vaping products. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, it's it it is unclear to me why uh, the vaping industry, uh, large or small, is particularly concerned about preserving cigarettes. Okay, I mean, the largest cigarette company in the world has already shunned its primary product and said that they want to be uh, smoke free within a decade or so. So. It does not seem to be a, a solid, rational argument for industry to make to say, oh, don't regulate anything because any regulation is bad. Don't ban anything. When for the past decade, we've been saying, get people off of cigarettes and get our vaping products in the marketplace. So for us, it wasn't that difficult of a philosophical discussion. I do understand the libertarian argument, but that is one argument. Let me bring this up. Uh, at least on my end, I feel that it may be a bit difficult to rely on FDA decision making when they can't even stick to something so momentous as their ban on Juul. Tony, explain for us, if you could, what happened with Juul? Why did FDA stay its decision to ban Juul? And is Juul still around and available? Well, the latter question is yes, they are around and available. Uh, I, I, and I'm sure that there were a few hours of extreme consternation once the story was leaked. And then, of course, the announcement was made, but that was quickly followed on by the retraction. Um, <clears throat> and it was unfortunate that, uh, that uh, the new director, that had to be his first order of business when he got to, to the agency, but that's the way that timing worked out. Um, you know, the decision, it, it's really hard to, to understand 
how the agency came to this decision. It is troubling the way that it was leaked and announced. Um, and, and, I, and I have to wonder whether that ultimately forced the agency's hand because of the leak. But let's assume that <clears throat> their intent was to remove Juul, uh, which is what they ultimately tried to do, or they said they were going to do by denying. Um, the, the, the step back based upon the filing that Juul made um, really begs the question as to how these decisions are being considered and who is signing off <clears throat> on the final decision that it, before, before it goes out the door. Um, for the agency to say that, claim that they did not receive certain toxicological information, only to have the company say, well, here are the 6,000 pages in our 125,000 page submission um, that you missed. Well, that harkens back to what happened when um, other companies filed. So for example, when Turning Point received its MDO, they very quickly went into court and said, no, we did in fact file uh, and submit to the agency uh, clinical trials, and here they are. And the agency had to, of course, uh, take a step back and bring those products back under, under review. In the case of Juul, they did not rescind the MDO, they simply administratively stayed the enforcement of their MDO. Um, but that could be indefinite until some future point in time when they ultimately decide how it is that they are going to respond to this particular application. But I think the big concern for the industry and for all those interested in vaping products is if Juul's application could not be approved with the enormous amount of science and specificity product level science uh, with respect to cessation, um, then it begs the question as to can any product um, actually pass muster under the current standard? And I think that it was probably really good. It was terrible that the announcement came out. It was terrible the way that it came out, um, but it's probably the right thing for them to you know, take a second look here and make sure that they get this right. Yeah, I mean, that's always good when you see an agency trying to get things right. It's just over and over and over again, it, it, it starts to feel like incompetence or some kind of malevolence that's going on because you need to, um, as an industry, be able to rely on the regulator to make sound decisions and the ones that it'll stick to or at least make sure that are applied fairly and evenly across the marketplace. But where, what it feels like now is it's kind of different regulations for different companies in the industry. And we feel that in Canada, too, as well. So it, this isn't just a criticism of FDA. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, one of the things that you have to do and is continue to have constructive engagement with the agency. You know, the agency ultimately is beholden to science and year after year, the science continues to approve, to improve, and to solidify. Uh, and the opponents of vaping are being pushed to the fringes as it relates to actual science. Um, and so the, the narrative has to remain consistent. There has to be consistent engagement. The agency, obviously, when, when they take an, make an incorrect decision, companies will try to hold them accountable in, in court um, but 
they also do need to, I, I believe, step out of this case by case approach and say, look, we need a comprehensive plan. There was a comprehensive plan that Scott Gottlieb tried to uh, announce and tried to begin to implement. Um, and I'm hopeful that new leadership, particularly if they um, uh, in, in the next few months, may start to lay out that comprehensive plan. Um, and obviously with new leadership at the commissioner level and at the, CT, at the CTP director level, um, and of course, there's going to be now new leadership at the Office of Science level. So there are a lot of moving pieces and there are a lot of new players. And I think this is the opportune time for them to take a look at the policy, to take a look at the science, say this is what we want to achieve, and then chart out an agenda for moving forward. And that's again, one other reason why we thought this comment on the menthol cigarette ban was an opportunity to say, here is part of a plan, right? Your step A is only good if you do steps B and C also. You just mentioned this personnel uh, shakeups that have been kind of going on at FDA, and it's been a little bit extraordinary. There certainly was a surprise. FDA Center for Tobacco Products this summer, you have Dr. Brian King that came on as the new director, but then Matthew Holman, director of the Office of Science, jumped ship to take a role at Philip Morris International. That's amazing. Jumped ship from the Center for Tobacco Products to Big Tobacco. Tell our viewers what you know, what we know, that what Holman's role was at CTB, what kind of effect did he have on vaping, and what does it mean with him jumping to PMI? Well, he had a very significant role and a leadership role in crafting the um, policy and approach that the agency was going to take with respect to the PMTA process. He ran the Office of Science, which is the office that is responsible for examining and reviewing um, applications. He was presented with this unprecedented influx of applications, right? Millions and millions of applications uh, and was under enormous pressure as the agency was to figure out a way to, to address those applications. From a scientific perspective, um, it always seemed to us and, and, and by others that have interacted with um, former director Holman that he fully understood the science as it related to vaping. He fully understood the promise that um, uh, vaping products uh, had with respect to the, the, the potential for reducing smoking. Um, and, and, and even uh, on issues of flavors, that there were no kind of, um, you know, uh, hard lines drawn. Because when scientists focus on scientists, which is what they do, they have to ultimately understand and realize what science is telling them. I think where the challenges have come in, where um, and, and we've talked about this before, um, was when the administrators or the policymakers try to direct what is happening. Um, and we saw some of that last summer, right, when uh, the FDA changed the Office of Science's approach to reviewing all of the flavored PMTAs. And that's there in black and white now. The Office Switch, of Science. The switcheroo. Yeah, under the direction of, of Matt Holman, had implemented a process for reviewing 
all the PMTAs, including the flavored PMTAs. And then in July, the Office of Science wrote a memo and they made clear that they were told to change their process by the then acting uh, commissioner. So that is where we run into trouble. Whenever, you know, whenever administrators and regulators start to meddle with science, that is troubling. I don't know if that had anything to do with the decision to, to leave the FDA, but these have been very difficult years for anybody working at FDA. Uh, they've been very arduous. It's been, as you know, we've been in the crucible, this issue, this industry, uh, and the agency. And the agency's been getting hit from all sides. Um, and so, uh, you know, at some point, people decide, you know, it's time to move on. And, uh, but I, I don't, obviously, the significance of him going to work at, at PMI is not lost on anyone. And I think it's, we're going to have to hear from him as to in terms of what what really drove his decision making process and what he what he plans and hopes to achieve working for PMI. What's interesting, of course, is that as we discussed earlier, that company is very committed to reducing the reliance and the availability of cigarettes. Um, they are obviously uh, looking at and making moves in the vapor space as well. So from a harm reduction perspective, uh, you know, many have talked about the fact that perhaps he finds that commitment to be genuine, and and that is one of the reasons why he wants to 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 be working with the company. I don't know if that says anything about you know what his thinking is at FDA. I can't get inside anybody's head, but I'm sure we'll hear from him at some point in the near future. And I think that uh, what it does mean though is that FDA has lost a real leader. In the, on this issue and in this space, um, and and he's a trusted thought leader in this space, and I think that um, that's just going to create more challenges internally for the agency uh, as they they look to find his replacement uh, and then figure out what type of synergy there's going to be between the Office of Science, the Center Director, and of course the Commissioner's Office. Well, hopefully there's some good news there, certainly if it makes it easier for the regulator and the largest tobacco company to work together. Let's just quickly jump over to the matter of synthetic nicotine products. The last time we had you on the show, that was you know a big part of it. Did FDA enforce those regulations in mid-July? There's some confusion, I think, around that, um, that issue. Yeah, I'm glad you asked about that because as you know, we, we at VTA have spent uh, a significant effort uh, and focus on addressing the issues of synthetic nicotine. As soon as the law was announced and came down in March, we reached out and met with the FDA with a very large group there to kind of present the case for synthetic nicotine to frame the issues with which the agency really needed to uh, uh, take into account and explain the rationale for why the those products need to be taken seriously and these applications with synthetic nicotine need to be taken seriously and put through their paces. We then, of course, immediately met with Director Holman uh, and, and members of the Office of Science to make a scientific demonstration as to the significance and the benefit of synthetic nicotine products in the marketplace. And again, reiterate why those products um, uh, are important 
to the marketplace and why they need to have to be put through their paces with respect to the PMTA, rather than have a knee-jerk reaction of removing all products from the market. And that's what you were alluding to. Come this July 13, 2022 date, would the FDA remove all the products from the market? Is that what the statute required that was passed? And I took a look at the statute and we have come up with an analysis, which I believe is clear that the law does not require the FDA to remove synthetic nicotine products from the market. The Congress, in fact, wrote their statute very clearly. In three different sections, they made it clear that you may no longer market, you may not market, um, or as a condition to market, you had to meet certain objectives. But when it came to the review of the products by July 13, the FDA said nothing, I'm sorry, the Congress said nothing about marketing. In a very straightforward legal analysis, when Congress looks at the plain language of the statute, they look at the words that Congress use. So we believe that Congress did not require the agency to remove the products from the market. So then the big question becomes, well, what about this notion that they're illegal if uh, they are not approved? Well, welcome to you know 2016 to the present. Every vaping product, according to the FDA, under the statute is illegal unless it has been approved. Um, so the reality, even those that filed PMTAs, and the position the FDA has taken is that all vaping products that have not yet been approved are on the market at FDA's enforcement discretion. And so we made the case to the agency that Congress did not require you to remove the products from the market. You should continue to use your enforcement discretion just as you have with respect to these other products. But that is even more important in the case of synthetic nicotine products because of the short time that Congress required, imposed for a company to complete a synthetic nicotine PMTA. Um, and I think it's extremely important to note that on July 14, the agency could have come out and said, all products have to come off of the market until we approve them. They did not do that. And I, I, I think that the message that we were able to get to the agency was there was a good, there were numerous policy reasons to consider these applications seriously. There were numerous scientific reasons to consider these applications seriously. There were environmental reasons to consider these applications seriously. There were benefits to the FDA for having these products in the market, things that they probably had not yet had yet not yet considered. And you have the ability, you have your enforcement discretion. You should use that enforcement discretion to ensure that companies have the requisite time to get you, the agency, the requisite information. So we seem to be in that mode now. The agency has obviously removed or issued refuse to file letters for a number of products already. Not surprising. I mean, um, I mean, they say they received a million applications, uh, which is hard to believe. But they, they, I'm not, I'm not doubting that they received them. But the fact that that many were filed is 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 quite significant. Um, and. And given the time frame in which those applications had to be filed, we know that many of them uh, are extremely deficient. So the agency has to figure out which are the applications that have substance that they can move forward with. And it seems to me they may be in that in that stage right now, trying to figure out kind of 
where they need to move forward, what applications at least pass the initial um, test of filing, uh, and then we will see. If they get start to uh, accept some applications for substantive review, that is significant, but we have yet to see that. So then, to put it in just a real clear question, uh, synthetic nicotine vaping products, have those products been removed from the shelves in the United States in any great quantity? Uh, no, I don't think anything's been done in any great quantity. Um, I mean, and, and this is another thing that we've been advocating to the agency, which is we need and you need, the agency needs to work hard on, on, on addressing a marketplace that is filled with products that for, uh, from companies which have never tried to comply with the regulation, rather than focusing on removing products from the marketplace for which companies have been complying with the PMTA regulation, have been spending their time, spending their money, and providing the agency information, and only focusing on getting those products out. What about all the folks that have not done anything? And it's high time that the agency takes a very direct and aggressive approach to uh, to to doing so, because otherwise they're making this entire PMTA regulation irrelevant. If companies can continue to bring products to market and there is no material enforcement against them, then what's the point of the regulation? So these are messages that we have been also sending to the agency, but it's, it's extremely important that there are some that are trying to take advantage of the situation and say that, oh, well, the agency said that all products are synthetic nicotine products that haven't been approved are illegal. Well, yeah, that's the line that they have. That's the position that they've had for years. Um, some have tried to suggest that retailers cannot carry these products because they haven't been approved, and specifically synthetic nicotine products. But I would contend, Brent, that if you believe that, then that also applies to every menthol product that's on the market, whether it's synthetic or not synthetic, because the agency has yet to approve a single menthol vaping product. Um, and so the same rationale would apply. Do you think that the menthol ban for combustibles will go ahead? And also, will menthol stay for e-cigarettes? Well, if I knew the answer to the first question, um, I would be uh, a very wealthy person. But uh, I don't know. I mean, they like, like we alluded to at the beginning, they tried this once. Um, there are going to be, there is going to be enormous opposition to it. Uh, and there already is, there has been, and th that will continue on. Uh, as far as will menthol vaping products be approved, it, it, it is beyond the pale, frankly, that we've had some tobacco-flavored vaping products approved, and yet no menthol products. For some of the products that they have already approved, there's, I mean, it, it's going to be hard to us to assess that or determine that there's a material, such a material difference that they could not also have made a decision on those products. But if you read this proposed rule, and the number of times they talk about the potential benefits of e-cigarette products, of vaping products, as being less harmful, as being alternatives to smoking, as being a potential benefit to cigarette, menthol cigarette smokers. Here's another quote from the Levy study that they, that they cite uh, a number of studies from Levy. A menthol ban may be particularly effective in reducing smoking among menthol smokers, especially if mint and menthol flavored e-cigarettes are available as an option for menthol smokers affected by such a ban. 
I cannot, un knowing that, knowing that this is the science on which they're relying, I cannot see how they cannot move forward with approving menthol vaping products, especially if they think that they're going to be able to ban menthol cigarettes.